Welcome to Starfleet Boy, where we have a casual and informal discussion about our beloved series, Star Trek. Are we live? <laughs> we're live, and we're back on another exciting episode of Star Trek. No, Starfleet Boy. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even know what show we're on. <laughs> Where we have a casual and informal discussion about Star Trek. Star As Trek The Next Generation has, has been our focus for over 120 episodes, Doctor. Uh, <laughs> wow. uh, many of which you, you have been on. Uh I, I would say if we were doing a <laughs> one of your tallies from the season recaps, you've had the lion's share of uh, episode on st- episodes on Starfleet. Post, so I, th- I thank you. <laughs> I thank you for your participation. Without you and the rest of the Starfleet Boy uh, team, I'm not going to call anyone Starfleet Boy regulars anymore. As Sherlock Holmesian as that is, it sounds kind of weird. So the team, I think it's better to be a team. The team. All right. The team, yeah. We're a team so, now. <laughs> which includes uh, Trekker Prize, Trek on the Tube, Trekkie Rob, and Ket, the real Ketwalski, all of whom are very uh, awesome uh, and interesting people whose uh, YouTube or Twitter uh, feeds, YouTube channels or Twitter feeds, uh, I would highly recommend uh, following and being uh, participants in. Uh, I'm honored to have them on. Uh, and then we also have uh, Saima and uh, uh, Jamie, uh, or Jamie and Saima. <laughs> I do it back and forth all the time, who are some friends of mine that live in Montreal, and they come on a lot more regularly now uh, with their perspectives, uh, which I, are delightful. I highly recommend uh, that. And then we have our one-offs, like just like on Star Trek The Next Generation. We were just talking about this as a, on our season <laughs> recap uh so i think uh i like the way that starfleet boy parallels star trek the next generation this season (laughs) (laughs) it's very nice um and we've got our commentators on the discussions yes Yes. we got some regulars down Um, there bill peck thank you very much and christopher collins who i did see your twitter i've been traveling like a mad person i'm just so bad but I will respond to you. So you'll probably see this before you you get my response on Twitter. I took notes, doctor. I went back to taking uh, handwritten notes because it's just so much Ouch. easier. <laughs> so there's about four pages of notes here in my notebook. About, no, one, two, three, wow. four, five, four and a half pages of notes um, wow. in, my, in my new dedicated to Star Trek notebook wow. here. So no doubt you will be doing the episode summary. I will be doing the episode summary. Okay. I'd be happy to. Uh, we have a really lengthy recap at the beginning of this episode of the previous episode, uh, which does a much better job than I could of recapping uh, Star Trek, uh, you know, the previous episode, Re- Redemption Part 1. So uh, in lieu of that, pause 
this audio recording or video and go back, go to Netflix or find your DVD of Star Trek The Next Generation Redemption Part 2 and watch the recap of Episode 1. It's awesome. Do you remember the recap? I do, do remember, remember the recap, yes. It's so dramatic. It was such a great little editing uh, piece, if you will. Like, And I don't recall... Um, I don't remember the recap if there was one. I, there was for Best of Both Worlds Part 1, but this one was compelling, and it kind of gets you back yeah. uh, where you need to be to if you've had a gap of time between the two episodes, yeah. which you did when it first aired. We had a whole summer. Uh, we had a whole summer. We, the whole summer yeah. to wait for yeah. Redemption Part 2. Um, well, it starts off uh, <laughs> uh, very interesting. Um, we we see it starts right off with a battle. Uh, we see Worf is serving aboard his brother Kern's uh, bird of prey, and uh, there's I I think you know it's established very quickly that they're fighting uh, uh, other Klingons uh, who will represent the Duras family. So there's a full-on civil war going on uh, because of the contest uh, for Chancellor. So half of the Klingon Empire is siding with Galran, and the other half uh, is with uh, the Duras family. Uh, what's the son's name? I forget. But <clears throat> Who, by the way, I don't think we talked about this, but... Uh, Duras's sisters are the Duras sisters, right? Mm-hmm. And and the son is with one of the Duras sisters, right? So it's <laughs> so the Duras like have relations with this sister and produce this like Mordred, if you will. Oh, like, is that what it is? <laughs> is no. that what it is? Like I think I don't think so. I don't know, but that's what I got out of it because. It doesn't make sense. Like, where did the child come from? Where's the father? Like, the father is... No, wait, wait. The father is, is Duras. And the mother is... Uh, is somebody Vator, else. Or, no. No. <laughs> no. No. All right. No, While no. I give the summary, will you research no. this and see yes. what you come up with? No, Dr. you're forgetting. <laughs> you're forgetting that uh, when the child is presented to the council, the first things that come out of them are like, oh... Who's his mother? Some harlot from the from the from a whorehouse or something? And there are all these epithets thrown at the kid. Nobody thinks the Dura sister is the mother. No, <laughs> only just, you. Only- You're the only one. <laughs> no, it's right. clearly established that the Dura sisters <laughs> right. are acting. I don't know where I got the notion as from. Um, aunts to the no, they're not aunts. They're they are. <laughs> They are the, the the sisters of that of kid of, of that they're kid. His, so they're her, they're his. I aunts. mean, they're his aunts. I'm sorry, they're his aunts. Yes, <laughs> they are his, his aunts. aunts. Okay. Yes. Sorry. Thanks for aunts. clearing that up. Because in, in this in this episode, there's a scene where Worf uh, gets captured, and one of the Duras sisters is like laying on top of him, being very uh, sexy, and uh, the other Duras sister, I, what are they? Uh, Bator and. Um, I can't remember their names, but Lator or we really, really, really need to. I need to write more down clearly than I apparently than I have written. Anyways, but anyways, in that seduction scene, they're saying that they want Worf to be a father to the child, right? Yeah, and that would mean marrying one of the sisters. And so I didn't understand. I think that's where. Well, that's to get him into the family. Right, 
but that's where I got confused. I thought maybe like I think in that moment I may have thought, oh, weird is is the boy the child of this Duras oh, sister? No. Like, is this is this wow. Mordred? <laughs> like, I'm so like, glad we cleared that up. <laughs> All right, so. Um, Anyways, uh, we start off with this battle, and and we get to see the Kern maneuver, which, uh, you know, uh, basically he's being pursued by two rival vessels, and his ship is being pursued by two rival vessels, and so he uh, gets as close to the coronasphere of, of the, the nearby star where they're having this battle, um, and then goes into a sharp turn and warps uh causing a huge like plume of uh solar matter to rise up from the the coronasphere and destroy the uh the uh the pursuing ships awesome scene Ter- the awesome special scene. effects don't hold up after all these years but the scene is still yeah. uh beautifully played and um <clears throat> tony todd really gives it his all Worf objects a couple times, and you know to uh, to Kern, and Kern really puts him in his place because Kern, of course, is the commander of the ship, and even though it's his older brother, um, uh, there, there, you know, he still has to listen to his commander, and so I thought that was well done, uh, and then um, you know, and there's you know talking about Shakespearean kind of performances like in that battle like Kern really you know Tony Todd really gets it going I mean there's like spittle on his beard and like you know he's just like yeah. like, like really really good performance um Anyways, and then we go, and after that battle, we switch to a much more serene and calm environment where Captain, uh, we find Captain Picard uh, at the nearest starbase um, uh, in a meeting, in an emergency meeting with two admirals, and he's trying to convince them that even though the, this is a Klingon uh, internal affair, you know, a civil war, not something necessarily that the Federation uh, wants to get involved with uh, and take sides on. Uh, that what they can do is uh, prevent, uh, to, to even the odds and make it fair by uh, stopping these supposed Romulan uh, supply runs that are occurring uh, to help the Duras family out. Um, so he devises a plan to create a blockade with about 23 ships uh, and, and uh, using a tachyon net, uh, hopefully either prevent the Romulans from delivering supplies uh, so that you know, there's it's more of a fair fight between Gowron and the and the and the Duras sisters, or to catch them in the act, and then the Federation can Starfleet can actually like get involved at that point because then it's not a fair fight, and Romulan intervention means that the Federation needs to even the odds out in the situation. So it would it, either way, <laughs> it's a great plan, and the admirals kind of tentatively uh, go for it, or in that meeting they're like, yeah, okay, we have to get approval, but pretty much go do your things, assemble your fleet. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, really, really cool story here where, um, you know, uh, I think this is actually kind of cool because it's the first time we actually see like a fleet being formed. I mean, we've had the fleet at Wolf 359, of course, and things like that. But here we see kind of the mechanics behind forming a fleet and he gives all these assignments. He puts Riker on the Excalibur and uh, he doesn't initially assign data a command uh, post. Uh, some of the ships are lacking uh, some leadership uh, and then data like kind of is like, hey, I'm qualified. What's the deal? Um, and Picard realizes immediately, he's like, of course you are, and without hesitation assigns him to the USS Sutherland. 
and then we get to uh, we get a, a nice little story develop there about Data's first command and how he handles uh, a, a disagreeable first office, a disagreeing first to say officer. The least. Um, yeah, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, we have. Uh, I'm sure we can talk about that character a little throughout this episode. Um, <clears throat> Meanwhile, um, uh, it's it's plainly obvious that the uh, Romulans are helping the Duras family, and we have Sila's character finally come into onto the board, as it were. And um, uh, when Picard sets up his blockade, uh, she decides to kind of uh, throw him off by revealing herself, and so. Uh, we meet Sila, and we get to we get this kind of story from her uh, when she and Picard meet about what happened to Tasha. And and I didn't go over this, but of course, uh, Guinan comes in and explains to Picard that hey, you actually that is actually Tasha's daughter. It's not a Romulan trick. Tasha went back in time aboard the Enterprise C, and then. Uh, you know that this is the result, and so Picard's just kind of mind well, blown. Well, it's it's you know. not just that she says she's like it's your fault. it's your she fault it's your fault yeah it's true. which you know well we'll we'll debate that in a yeah minute, I take but, a little issue with that too but it's an yeah. interesting it's an interesting thing um, there. Anyway, so Sila reveals that uh, Tasha did, in fact, survive. And we find out that it's actually not, like, you know, the ending of yesterday's Enterprise, one uh, one is perhaps hopeful that uh, she and um, uh, Lieutenant uh, Castillo uh, end up having a happy, happily ever after. Or they die bravely in, in, <laughs> in, in battle. But, uh, but uh, that happily ever after isn't, uh, isn't the case um, at all. Uh, Tasha ends up uh, being um, forced to uh, to couple with a Romulan. Um, you know, I forget he's like a general or something like that. Um, who says that if she doesn't, you know, uh, become his consort uh, of sorts, that he would kill the rest of her crew. So apparently, there were survivors from the Enterprise C. Anyways, um, Tasha does do this. She actually uh, has a daughter with him, but you know, naturally, she's probably trying to escape and and get her crew off the planet. So Sila claims that one night she came to take Sila away, and uh, and like a good little Romulan, uh, she did not. Uh, succumbed to this treachery and uh, and uh, was killed by her f- her father and and security forces. Um, so yeah, big big reveal there. Picard doesn't believe it though. Uh, I think it, we don't actually, as I recall, we don't actually get anything else about this. But it would have been neat to in unification if we met uh, Tasha, <laughs> like old Tasha. Mm-hmm. Um, that would have been an interesting little thing, but as I recall, that's not the case at all. We don't ever see Tasha, so we assume that this is the true story of her, uh, of her character. <clears throat> Which, by the way, I know you do a lot of research on the expanded universe. Is there a book set in uh, that time, like dealing with the story of Tasha after the Enterprise C and the Battle of? Uh, that's I'm a not, good question. What, I, uh, I'm you know, not, I'm I'd not be sure. curious to know. So. This this exchange occurs and Picard kind of like sees where he stands with Sela and kind of uh, dismisses her as um, you know a distraction 
dismisses the whole exchange as a distraction and decides to pursue the course as he was going to. Nothing changes. Um, and then we get a cool you know, back and forth between uh, this, uh, the other plot of the Duras sisters trying to gain favor with Worf and uh, just more you know, of their treachery with the Romulans. And uh, it looks like the battle is being won by the Duras sisters, by the way, um, until we go back to the blockade. And uh, um, Picard sets up a trap, if you will, for Sela, and she evades the trap very cleverly, realizes what he's doing, uh, and decides to go with another operation. But somehow she knows that Data is aboard the Sutherland and targets that ship, uh, Romulan intelligence must be amazing, by the way, because they <laughs> they, like, they knew. Um, she targets that ship to uh, deploy a tachyon burst or something like that, like a bombardment of tachyons to confuse the sensor net. And uh, everything's working. Uh, the fleet retreats to try to set up a new net further down the line to see if they can catch the Romulans later. Um, but Data, uh, realizing that time is of the essence, begins to uh, use his particular skills to scan through the sensor logs and realizes that, oh, uh, perhaps there is a way to track the Romulans. And he ends up saving the day when his plan works, but not without a very tense few moments between he and his first officer and the rest of the fleet. Um, once the Romulans are revealed, uh, the Dura sisters are on their own, and of course they can't survive on their own, so uh, Galron wins the day. Uh, he offers the life of Duras's son to Worf, and uh, Worf decides not to take it and uh, asks to be reinstated aboard the Enterprise, and Bob's your uncle, that's the end. Very good. <laughs> Congrats. <laughs> Your notes do you justice, sir. <laughs> Lots to talk about on this episode. Lots yeah. to talk about on this episode. Yeah. And I want to start off with um, with that comment from Guinan. What are your thoughts on that? She seems almost... Uh, it's almost like she's made... She's there to... to to give Picard some guilt over something that I don't really see it as this. I mean, it's I don't know. I don't. I didn't under. I I still question those scenes. It's well. I think what's weird about it is again, and this I, I think this plays to just the way uh, episodic uh, television of the time was. Is that like? It comes out of left field. Uh, she never talks about it. You know, a whole season goes by, and she, and we never see reference to yesterday's Enterprise. And again, it's like one of those things where, like, it was a big deal. You would think that Guinan having a memory of this situation, you know, at the end of uh, yesterday's Enterprise, if I recall correctly, she's sitting with Jordy and Ten Ford, and she's like, tell me more about Tasha, right? So one assumes that, you know, one can fill in the gap that Guinan went on this journey of discovery about who Tasha was and so on and so forth forth but you would think that Guinan would have brought this to Picard's attention at some point right but no instead what we do get is like this kind of like you know sudden thing where it I think it's okay for Guinan to accuse Picard of something but I think she would have done it a lot earlier like when recalling the events of yesterday's Enterprise like I know that like um uh, crewmen keep logs just as much as the officers do, you know? And so I can't imagine that, like, this wouldn't have come to Picard's attention before this instance. 
the Sila thing makes sense um, and everything like that, but just Guinan's accusation just doesn't make sense because I think she would be more inquisitive or like more forgiving considering knowing that, you know, it was a tough choice for Picard to make uh, in that timeline. I mean, like, she at, uh, Guinan tells Tasha how she actually died, and Tasha asked Picard if she could have a better death. I mean, like, how do you, what, what do you say in that situation, you know? So, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't seem fair <laughs> that Guinan, right. that Guinan yeah. would accuse him or say that it's his fault. But Picard has no idea what the hell she's talking about. Like, he's just kind of, like, he seems completely, like, thrown off by this and you know uh in the scene with sila he says it has been um like he says something to the extent of like it has been speculated that what happened to tasha is this and that's when sila confirms yes in fact that is but like at the end of that scene picard says i don't believe anything you're saying so you know what is that perspective like where is picard sitting on this like it's a timeline that happened only to Guinan, as far as anyone's concerned. You know, I mean, like, the events that occurred only happened to Guinan. Like, once the Enterprise-C went back through the, uh, the anomaly, even though it altered their future, the events that occurred to create that didn't occur, as far as the rest of the crew is concerned. So it's a, it's a weird place to be and i think i think the show handles it really well because you were obviously we're talking about it um from that perspective but i don't know it's a it's a strange thing and i don't think picard believes it i don't know if picard believes guinan a hundred percent i mean it's obvious that you know whatever relationship picard has with guinan it's to that level that if she comes in and says i don't i can't prove it to you but this is what happened Picard does take notice and and it's interesting because there's a mirror scene in yesterday's Enterprise where Guinan comes in and tells Picard this is not the way things are supposed to be and Picard's like what are you talking about you know because obviously from his point of view this has been his entire life up until that moment and Guinan's just coming in and saying you know this is not the way it's supposed to be so that Picard probably had uh, a a, a lot more to distrust about what Guinan was saying than this, than than this Picard. And, ah, um, hailing frequencies. <laughs> and um, <laughs> how do you call it? But it, it it is odd that Guinan comes in kind of strong and says, you know, almost it's almost like accusing him. That it's his fault that Sila exists, and then I think the sh- the episode kind of is lets it de- uh, lets the situation doesn't follow through on that because really Guinan should have been at that meeting with Picard and Sila. Oh, that would have been a really interesting additional kind of layer i think yeah i i I actually agree i would love to have seen that i'm not entirely sure i mean i am i know why it didn't happen but uh, but it 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 should have and and that is one of my issues i haven't i'm I'm gonna surprise you (laughs) with my i'm gonna give you my rating right now yeah Um, it does i i I guess okay (laughs) it's it's a nine wow it's not a 10 and it is a nine because i think each of the three stories that are are 
are, sh- are showcased in this episode each should have had its own episode and instead I think that each of the three stories suffer because they're jam-packed together and and they need more time to breathe and I think the whole reveal of Sila uh, as to who she is and how that impacts Picard and like you said what that means for you know just the temporal you know physics of it like how is she even (laughs) there at all the episode just does not do anything to 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 yeah they just don't really they really don't address it as much as 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 they should and it's disappointing ultimately to me i can i can totally see that um but i think that like i i think again we we must consider i'll go with your nine though um i'm not gonna i'm not gonna debate you on it but what i will say is that i think we just have to consider the television of the time just didn't allow for that kind of storytelling like it it would have been uh, it was believed that audiences preferred uh well first of all mechanically they had to set it up as independently as possible because in syndication it's a lot to ask for like you know to put two episodes back to back and that's how i remember seeing this episode in syndication is a lot of times these two-parters would be a special event on television they would say oh we're gonna you know the little blurb in the tv guide would say and this week is the best of both worlds part one and two and that was unusual uh, <laughs> it was like a real slow week where there were there are no sporting events on or anything like that that you got these like you know the marathons and things like that um but yeah tv worked so differently back then and i think you're right that sometimes these very interesting stories looking back in retrospect uh deserved more and i so i can't argue with you i do agree that like there's so much condensed into this episode i mean i took four and a half pages of notes and you know i i didn't even i don't think the summary adequately covered the shifts you just have to watch the episode there's there's so much in there um and then participate in this discussion with your questions below in the comment section below. <laughs> um, I also thought uh, something that was weird, perhaps, about this episode was, or that didn't work uh, for me, was that like I would have thought that I think the Wharf Kern relationship is interesting because I think that in many ways. Um, Kern was representing like a classic Klingon, like a Klingon, you know, like uh, there, there, you know, there's a there's there's joy in his heart for f- even though there's destruction all around him. It's a weird thing, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and in this episode, I thought Worf kind of went backwards in his development. Like I think Worf was further along, maybe up until. Hmm. I don't know. I guess, you know, in the previous episode, you have Guinan kind of giving him this, like, lecture about, you know, or like a, you know, kind of revealing that he doesn't really know what it's like to be a Klingon and he needs to find out. But I just didn't think that, like, the way that he and Kern interacted in the past, that it kind of fit. There wasn't a lot of brotherliness. I felt like Kern was just teaching Worf how to be a Klingon. And I would think that Kern would be a lot more accepting of Worf and how he is, uh, if, if you will. And I can't believe that there are no other Klingons that are like Worf, like, you know, a Klingon that maybe like, you know, 
would spare the life of an enemy, you know, also. Like, I just can't believe that Worf is so singular in his belief system because it doesn't seem, you know, like like his personality is so crazy dramatically different you know what i mean like he's thinking about repairing a ship before the battle and kern's telling him like that's not what a klingon does but i just can't believe that like i mean Kling- <laughs> or maybe that's why klingons never win any wars because they don't they don't they don't like really like take after their sh- their ships are not battle ready you know like they're too busy having fun and drinking and 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 you know the, wow. the doing these things i don't know <laughs> wow. but yeah so i thought that was awkward i thought i thought like the accusations of of him not being klingon don't really fit and maybe that's just because i know Worf as more of a complete character you know like now I, from the vantage point of this episode maybe it it would have held true uh at the time but from my vantage point of knowing Worf throughout this show and ds9 like i think he's the best klingon (laughs) you know like in in many ways he's what klingons perhaps should be that that's those are all very valid uh insights and and you are right there is sort of a stereotypical quality to the klingons in this episode it's just you know they just want to butt heads and and it's almost as if they don't care what side they're fighting on. They're all going to get together here and drink anyways. Right. It, they're fighting right. for the for the sake of fighting. And which Well, the, yeah. I think it's interesting the neutral that the capital city is neutral ground and and that like you can have battles all day long with uh you know another Klingon in a civil war, but once you're in the capital city, you can drink together and kind right. of exchange insults uh without it going too far. But um you know that that's an interesting aspect of of Klingon culture that I liked that this episode revealed um, because it would be nice if like humans kind of saw saw it that way like you know or you know it'd be nice if humans didn't fight at all but like you know, <laughs> right you know, it's like those of us fighting amongst each other maybe we're the fights aren't they don't hold a lot of weight and I think that's kind of like what was maybe strange too is that like. I think Worf kind of exemplifies these like ideas like to a human it's strange because we're like well what are you fighting for if you're you're having drinks at the end but then I right. think of sto- well then I think of stories like the Christmas truce and like real world examples of that kind of thing happening in spurts and I think yeah I can understand that perspective as well it's 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 a very curious thing <laughs> It is it is and and to that to that example of course you know, maybe, maybe that is the point that they're trying to make is that there is such a disconnect from because obviously in World War One there was such a disconnect between the the military administration, the ones making the decisions, and the people fighting in the trenches that you could have something like the Christmas truce. Uh, whereas I don't think the impression I get from the clay, from from the episode is that there isn't such. A disconnect from the people making decisions to fight and the people fighting it. That that is so. It 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 remains a curious anomaly there, and I think uh, it just goes to show that Worf is not at home, and I is not completely at home. There's always a 
uh, there's always something bothering Worf wherever he's in, whether he's in the human world or the Klingon world. And uh, maybe. But I think that he. I think he makes his final decision in this episode. I think when he asks to be reinstated. Uh, the ending of this episode is really uh, interesting because there's a lot of like gestural, symbolic things happening, and I loved it. I actually thought that was one of the best scenes in the episode was when Duras does offer. I mean, um, Galron offers uh, the life of Duras's son, who I wrote down the, the characters. Isn't name. it like Tolan ter- or something? To- ter- Tolar, or, Toby, yeah, Joffrey. I think it's Joffrey. It might be Joffrey. Joffrey. Uh, yeah, I think it's Joffrey. Anyways, Joffrey. I'm just going to call him Joffrey from now on. So let's, let's go when, for it. When Ga- Gowron offers the life of Joffrey uh, to Worf, and Worf decides not to take it. I think there's something in that scene, and again, maybe I'm reading way too much into this, but like the way I read it this time, watching it, is that I think Gowron gives him a way out because Kern, you know, Kern's like what the what the f like kill kill him. He's a his lineage, his him living threatens the Klingon Empire, and and you know you know threatens for this whole thing to happen all over again. And uh, I think Worf makes what would be considered a very like federation like or maybe you know um i don't want to say human i'm going to say federation like decision here as opposed to a very klingon decision uh when he spares the life of duress's son and then uh kern picks up the knife you know garon's like well if you're not going to do it then then Kern may as well, and and then again, Worf stops him and says, "No, you gave his life to me, so I'm choosing to spare it." And Gowron respects that, and kind of, I think, but the but no, but there's like an unsaid thing of like a consequence of like, well, you're directly opposing your emperor, your uh, your chancellor's uh, wishes here. So, what to do with you next? And then Worf says to Picard, "May I be reinstated?" It's like, okay. Good, good decision. Get the hell out of my court. You know what I mean? Because Gowron can't afford to have a wharf on his on his court. You know, mm-hmm. Kern is a much better um, lieutenant. There's <laughs> a better to, fit to for fit, and so yeah. I think everything is right at the end of this episode. And Worf does make the correct decision um, for both the Klingon Empire, but also for himself. And I like that. I really like that. And I think after this, you don't really see much more. As far as I can recall, there's not any more hesitation in Worf's like feeling where he belongs. Um, you know, he I think he makes it he makes the Federation his home at that point. I think there's still some unease with Worf. There's tension implied in um all good things, uh he's you know, he's when he's ambassador Worf, it seems like he hasn't been in touch with uh his old crewmates in a while, and there might be a little bit of bitterness. So you're right there, but I don't know. If no, it's but even in Deep Space Nine, I, I still think there's a little unease. I think he, I think he's a character who is perpetually uneasy wherever. <laughs> I, no, yeah, I'm not saying. I mean, yeah. I, I think he is like, I think he is. He in, in that in that sense, he is. He is the a true echo of Spock, in that um, he's got a foot in both worlds, but uneasy in both. And it's only time that kind of mellows him out, and he does sort of come to the realization that he will never be one or the other. He is who he is, and he is unique. 
and and will therefore be a unique voice and will make decisions that maybe either one won't won't make either you know human or klingon so yeah i think that's actually true but i think it doesn't take away from you can feel those things and still have feel like you're home somewhere oh well, yeah know, yeah for sure yeah for sure I don't know, but i i i, I don't agree with you think of Worf from the distant perspective of like his whole character arc i just think of him as like not struggling as much as he did from season one through four like i think it was i think it just that struggle diminishes and it's more about relationship type things like obviously his relationship with troy that's going to come up and things like that so and later with dax i in fact yeah later with dax he it's more relationship stuff and i think that's where Worf's conflict goes to <laughs> um we shall see but I, but we shall see we shall see uh I think we have to talk right away about the whole situation on the USS Sutherland, um, the ship that Data is assigned to. Um, you know, I, I think it, I think it's interesting. Like that. Well, first of all, there's 20 ships originally in the plan, and they're all you know fit to and ready to go. And then he adds these three ships on that they're not ready. The he says the dock master says they're not ready to launch. <laughs> Poor but, dock uh, master. Yeah, but I'm gonna put these ships into play because the more you know, the more we have for the the net, the the better our chances of catching the Romulans. And so, Data comes aboard the USS Sutherland, and he's met by what is his name? Christopher Hobson is the is they're the same rank, Lieutenant Commander. But by the looks of it. Um, I'm trying to understand a little bit about the uniforms, and maybe I've gotten lost here, but red is you're on an administrative path, like a command path. And then yellow is like science, and it's more like engineering and science, or just engineering, I guess, like technical things, right? Like more of like the uh, operational side of the ship. And then the blue uniforms are the are science. You know, well, science. but then Worf is yellow, so it's, it's engineering and security. Operator. Right. Well, the operations, I, that's what I'm saying. Is like one is administrative and command operations, right? Red is administrative and command, then yellow is operations, and then blue is sciences, like pure pure sciences, like medical, you know, whatever else. Uh-huh. Like sure. that ha- like has to do with science aboard the vessel. Right. So, you could see that like, you know, Picard gives Data this this command even though Data's kind of on the operational Track so maybe he's you know Picard's putting him ahead of Hobson is the implication I get because Hobson's wearing red so I think Hobson felt probably initially like hey I should have gotten command of my own ship where I'm the lieutenant commander but instead he gives it to his guy right so there's that automatic like you know who the hell uh, are you conflict yeah yeah who the hell are you but then it goes a little deeper and I think it it, it becomes clear that Hobson's ideas are pretty. Uh, unexpected for a Starfleet for a citizen of the Federation and a Starfleet officer. I mean, he kind of like uh, pigeonholes. He's, he uses an example that stood out in my mind and says, uh, well, you wouldn't make a Klingon a ship's counselor or, you know, I forget what the other example he uses there, but like he kind of is like uh, very attached to these stereotypes. And so he's like, why would anyone put... Uh, you know, I don't think you're as a machine that you're capable of commanding, making command decisions or whatever, right? So I think he has a limited view already, and I was surprised by that because I, you, one expects 
Starfleet officers to be a little bit more um, uh, enlightened, I guess. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But what did you think of that? Um, I think that uh, Hobson's, you know, the like you said, that, that argument he said, you know, well, we wouldn't put a Klingon as a counselor. Uh, you know, it could be that he's just a little more... What's the word? Um, I mean, yeah, it is surprising that that he's he's so outspoken in, in those ideas of his. But I interpreted it as he is just really opposed to the idea of artificial an artificial intelligence taking command of the ship. He doesn't see data as really a living thing. It's it's going back to the measure of a man argument, which is this is he's just a toaster. Why is a toaster right. in charge of a ship? A ship needs a human being. It's actually going all the way back to um, uh, the M five episode on the original show. You know, where you're going to put a computer in the ultimate, uh, what is it? Is it the ultimate computer? Or, right, or the uh, ultimate. The ultimate something. Going all the way back to that episode is like the idea of of a machine in charge of human beings. And I think, and again, that's why I, I think the episode's a nine, because I think that whole concept needs an entire episode to be explored. I don't think... Everything is very is too simplistic in terms of, of the 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 way that these two guys spar against each other, um, and I and I feel that ultimately data is. I feel that the show, the the, the show just really in this episode cements data as, you know, um, I think it's a legitimate argument to say do we want a machine in charge of us? But this episode really just says, well, but Data is not just a machine. He's more than that. And if he's more than a machine, then you can't really have these episodes anymore. Because, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because you've, you've, you've basically said, and I think you said it in Measure of a Man already, and that, you know... This is an this is no longer a legitimate argument because the show seems to be taking the stand that data is not just a machine, and I'm getting at this point, I'm getting a little tired of these episodes because you never see the pendulum go the other way. You never have the suspense of like, well, wait a minute, maybe data, maybe there is something to this argument. You never see yeah. data make a decision that validates what Hobson is saying. So it's it's just sort of, you know, I don't know. Right. Maybe the reinforcement is not necessary. That's a good point. Um, uh, the Sutherland also was interesting to me. What is it, a Nova-class starship? Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's kind of like an update to what the... Um, the Reliant the was? Moran oh, okay. Yeah, the Miranda-class. Yeah, exactly. Like the Reliant. It's a similar style to the Reliant. It's got it's like, like some frigate. kind of... 
I guess. I don't <laughs> Trek yards. <laughs> yeah, right? Trek yards. Hey. <laughs> I'm 100% sure there's an episode on Trek yards that, that deals with uh, this, uh, probably with the Nova class and the Miranda class and their similarities. Um, but, uh, but what I did notice is that, like, I... I in my mind because of its configuration I thought that the Nova class the saucer section was at least the same size as the Enterprise D saucer section right but uh the bridge on this ship was like really <laughs> tiny and like kind of kind of weird looking like yeah. you know like I didn't think it was like uh there's no elegance to it at all no, no, no elegance, elegance to, to it at all. all. No, no. Where are the where's the wood? I don't. You know, like I thought all the new class uh, starships had had wood and wood paneling, and that's yeah, <laughs> only for the galaxy. I mean, in some ways, it kind of in it kind of. I mean, obviously, on a smaller scale, resembled Voyager, and that I never really thought the Voyager bridge was right for me. I don't know. It just seemed like... It just seemed too... Squat. I don't know. It just didn't... It just didn't, it didn't have that round quality that uh, the Enterprise bridges have on in the original show well, and in the, in the Next Generation. It, it, it was just kind of... You know, it was made for like this widescreen TV, you know? It's just everything is just kind of like that, you know? And I feel like this Enterprise was very boxy. Is, the Enterprise D is like so unique in all of Star Trek, I have to say, because um, there's nothing like it since. Like, in terms of the interior uh, and, and just specifically the bridge, the bridge of the Enterprise D is just so unique uh, among Star Trek. And I think that, like, for some reason, they went backwards to this uh, smaller more submarine-like look, and I don't know if it was just because, like, uh, people really hated the the Enterprise D bridge. I mean, like, I have to say, like, you know... They just don't have the money for... (laughs) (laughs) They don't have the money for it. Well, the Discovery's bridge is enormous. I mean, like, it's a huge bridge, uh, too, so I feel like, you know... I don't know, it's very interesting. I think the bridge design uh, that the D represents had was very unique in all of Star Trek. I love it. Like, I think the more the more and more I think about it is like I would not mind spending a lot of time in a virtual mock-up of the Enterprise D. I think it, to me it feels like home. Obviously, because I spent seven years of seven seasons of my life aboard, <laughs> imagining <laughs> that I was aboard the uh, Enterprise D, and it was in, in those uh, very young, uh, young and impressionable years. So uh, it does feel like home to me but um yeah so anyways i just thought it was weird that the sutherland's bridge was so small even though the configuration of the sutherland gave the impression that it's at least as big or as wide as the saucer section on the enterprise d uh the excalibur which is the ship that Riker was on uh was the same class as the enterprise c and i can't remember what that class starship is off the top of my head let's see enterprise c and Memory Alpha says it is a uh, Ambassador class starship. So I think the uh, Excalibur was also an Ambassador class starship. I thought that was interesting. Um, we I wish we had seen uh, Riker commanding the Excalibur. We only hear him in the right, episode. Right, right. Another and disappointment, so, uh, yeah. Yeah, so uh, obviously 
you know, it's pretty clear that maybe budget didn't allow for <laughs> for that. Um, Question. Could, but, uh, nice. yeah. could we have been seeing the battle bridge of the... Uh, of the... The Shelby? Is it the Shelby or... The the ship data was on. Oh, the Sutherland. Sutherland. But I Could don't we have know. been on the battle bridge uh, instead? Maybe the hey, bridge wasn't re- ready? Because remember, these ships were not ready. They were sent out. The Dockmaster <laughs> was, was, was irate with with Picard over this. So could I buy it. it. That's a, could it be that's the battle a nice, bridge? Uh, that's a nice Trek explanation there. So I, I totally buy that. I'll, I'll give, I'll give it, I'll give the show that. That was good. But I just want to say though that like, the Battle Bridge thing is kind of weird also because we never really see it again um, being used. Like especially for this situation uh, and all future battles, like t- they, they don't have the time to take the turbo lift down to the Battle Bridge every time there's a, ba- a battle. It's like, why do you need a battle? <laughs> <It's just> like, <coughs> okay, uh, you know, here's our regular. Why, why does the TARDIS have a secondary console room? I don't know. Why does it have a? I I have no. <laughs> why can't the primary bridge be where the battle occurs? Uh, just like in. Uh, Supposedly, there's a battle bridge on the A, right? If I'm not mistaken, that was something that rec- they retconned into the schematics yeah, of the I Enterprise. So. I yeah. think so, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I mean, it is. It is. It is. It is funny to me that they they cho- the engineers chose to design a ship to make it to have a bridge in the most vulnerable place you could possibly put it, but then have a battle bridge in like the most secure place and let that be the, the backup. you know the the backup um when the bridge could just be anywhere on the ship i mean like it doesn't need it, it, it is true it could be anywhere on yeah. the ship and i think even the trek yards yeah. people say that say that, that you know really <laughs> there's no you know it's it's just it's purely uh uh it's it's just traditional you know it's <laughs> I think I I think they should never have introduced the idea of a battle bridge and just wow. kind of established that the feder the federation was so secure in their technology that the bridge is the most fortified like the ship could get totally destroyed but the bridge would somehow be able to survive But then you're uh, saying that the primary reason that they're going out of the space is military. Oh maybe it's true. I mean, See, when you put the bridge right there at the apex of the <laughs> ship, you're saying, we are here to greet we you. We come in peace. We come in peace. It's we are true. here to explore. So Good point. Good point. Very nice. Um, but going back to, to the argument with this guy, you know, I think if they had done a whole episode with just data on this ship, you know... This guy was basically questioning data. Is does he have the right to command me and the crew? And if you just take out the AI part, if you just make it a sort of a, a thing of of if you just go for the for the minorities metaphor, you know, where you know, there's many situations in militaries where you know, going back in history, you know, people didn't want blacks in in the military. 
they didn't want uh, Asians in the military. They didn't want women in combat situations. They don't want uh, gays in the military. They don't want transvestite, uh, not tra- uh, transgender in the military. And, you know, that's a very, you know, it's a very potent, uh, uh, you know, that that's that ripe from drama there. And I think Data, this episode could have been that episode where it's like, you know, um, sort of, because you said he does he does seem to sound a bit backwards in his thinking. Which, you're right, if they had explored it over the course of a, a whole episode, that whole theme or that idea, right. um, it could have been... It could have felt more. It could have done more justice to that argument. To that or argument, that, yeah. Or, or, or highlighted that that with more um, with more weight. Whereas now here, it just comes off as a little bit like you know maybe perhaps um, uh, lecturing. You know, like almost like you know Hobson becomes like a cartoon villain if you will or yes. a cartoon adversary yes. you know? so it's so, very simplistic I think, yeah. and then he turns <laughs> he go and then he he realizes the error of his right and of his ways so easily you know and it's right. just, again, it's again just sort of like, within 15 minutes he's a different character it's true <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's, it's sort of simplistic and, it's a good point and it, 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 you know still still i think for 1991 it's a really uh, it was a really like uh edgy thing to bring up though i think uh because i don't know uh you know if if uh that kind of thing had been presented and so i think maybe maybe it served its purpose for the time so that would have been you know that's the only kind of like concession i can give it (laughs) um what did you think of the uh the scene where uh, Gowron, uh, basically, you know, uh, is, is answering that challenge when, when things are kind of going south for him. Um, one of his, uh, um, commanders comes forth and says, oh, maybe, maybe they have better leadership on the Duras side and maybe it's time for new leadership and challenges Gowron. In that scene, I thought Worf was just a little too extra, with his protestations uh, about, you know, the, you know, we have a war to fight. And, like, you know, I can't believe that, like, Worf having killed Duras in the manner that he did. Again, here it seemed out of character for him to object to Gowron meeting this same challenge. What did you think of that? That is a valid point. You're right. You're absolutely right. You know, perhaps, um, you know, it, it, it could be that, you know, when you're... Amongst, speaking of, uh-huh. speak, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but Worf has been sitting there so gallantly yeah. this whole time. <laughs> yes, yes. This and this figure is him uh, in the costume that you saw as, as he was going down. You know that that hallway sequence. You know, in the beginning with the coat and everything, with the not the coat, the robes, but. Um, yeah, I I think maybe the only thing I could say to that point is that sometimes when you are when you're the minority in a group, certain traits of that of of that of that culture that you are maybe are heightened when you're amongst others that are not like you. 
because you're sort of like representing. But then when you go in with others like you and there are lots of things about them that you're kind of, yeah, I'm not quite like them. Then you sort of go the other way. Are you talking about like when you visit cousins that live in like distant lands and they're like, for example, if you go to Canada. And you- yeah, those Canadian cousins. <laughs> <laughs> it's so different up there. It's, it's so, so different, different. yeah. So different. yeah. Okay. I guess I guess I can see that a little bit, but I still think that like I still think that Worf I just think it's odd that like that would be his reaction. I just I really You're do. Right. I think that it is weird. I think the scene would have been cool played either way. I think it would have been cooler actually if Worf just kind of stood in the background and we gave that whole scene to Gowron. Like if it had nothing to do with, with Worf. Worf and just yeah, and just You're Gowron right. like you know right. putting down this opponent and then saying that be- beautiful line afterwards where he goes and now the war can continue right you know, it's like, yeah exactly <laughs> exactly well but you know so, what the problem it, it i think it eliminates ultimately god i think i might bring this down to an eight it might oh no it, 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 all, it, it eliminates one of the major issues i have with this episode uh, and that is that Worf, you know, after after the last, the first part, where it was all about Worf, and now you get to the second part, and suddenly it's not all about Worf. Um, there's a lot of competing storylines here, and Worf is diminished, and and it's kind of interesting to think that they send, they give him that that great hero's send off in the episode prior, and you get to this episode, and really. He's not very heroic at all. I mean, he gets a, a he gets a punch a Romulan at the end, but he really doesn't do much other than complain. Right. And I, <laughs> I think it's because your modern sensibilities uh, would would probably with that like what you said sort of I guess is like had this been a show done today, um, it would have been half a season of Worf off. On, At least know, the and, episode, and the War. yeah, and the twist might have actually ended up being that Worf becomes the Chancellor of the Klingon Empire. Like that might have Maybe. actually been like the twist that like was satisfactory or would have satisfied uh, him leaving the Enterprise, and like so that would have been an interesting thing. But obviously, again, the show is Enterprise focused, so he has to in order for Worf to stay on Star Trek, he has to come home to the Enterprise. Well, so, I don't debate you know, that, like, but it could have been yeah. more centered on on Worf, but it seems like they really didn't have much for Worf to do. Worf is you know that that great opening, that wonderful opening, which is really the only thing we get of the Civil War. Uh, you know, it's 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 the only battle we get. Right, yeah, it's true. It's it's Kern. It's Kern's moment. You know, it's not even as Worf is kind of debate like like Are you sure? Like, what are you doing? It's all about Kern, and then like you said, Gowron is the one who owns that moment later on with that guy who, who disputes his authority. And then uh, Worf is, is basically, you know, they bong him on the head and he gets dragged to the Dora sisters and he punches a Romulan at the end. I mean, it, it, it almost undercuts the buildup of Worf uh, in, in the second, you know, from the first episode. So Worf, right. I don't think, comes off very well. Ironically, in the episode at all, I think he. I think it's it's because he's really uh, the Worf story here. Kind of uh, doesn't go. It, it just doesn't. Port- 
you're right. He doesn't have that kind of heroic uh, thing that you expected. But I almost kind of, you know, just throwing in another perspective out there, but, like, I almost kind of like that because I think that, like, you know, again, this is, like, a, a thing that, like, you know, maybe maybe this is why Worf realizes, okay, like, I'm not, I'm not a Klingon. <laughs> right, know, like, right. You know, I, I, I am... I am a Klingon biologically, but but you know, in culturally, I'm some, culturally, I'm something else, right. and, and so I think that. But again, there's nothing really clear, clear and overt about it, and that's okay. But I guess that's the implication, you know, with him coming home to the Enterprise uh, in that manner. Um, and he is. It is interesting that he is like a vehicle for us to see the different sides of the war and kind of like what's going on. Because you have you start off with Worf, kind of te- through Worf we we see Kern's story. Like we see a battle. We see like you know Klingon, and then the perspective of Klingons on you know like just just the the regular Klingon soldiers. You know like you, you know it's not so much focused on the High Council. Then you have Worf in this in the Gowron scene, kind of showing what's going on at that level, and then he gets kidnapped, and then you see what's happening on the other side. So through Worf, we get to see like the whole, mm-hmm. you know, kind of stage, if you will. It's a good observation. Um, yeah, you're right. So, see, speaking of not meeting up to their kind of heroic things you know you have this like the reveal of Sila in the previous episode um and then in this episode she's you know she's interesting and she goes head to head with Picard and she doesn't fall for his trap and all that and it's all fun to see her kind of you know commanding and stuff like that but also I thought like the way that it was set up in the episode with Jordy, I thought there was going to be much more. Like in in this episode, you get the impression that yes, the Romulans are helping the um, the uh, Duras sisters here, and the ultimate play is to unbalance the 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 power in in the quadrant. You know, like if Romulan if the Duras sisters win the Empire, then they'll team up with the Romulans, and now the Federation will be under major threat from two forces rather than just from you know one formidable force. But that's the part that I feel like didn't get fleshed out as much. Like you definitely got the the impression that the Romulans were interested in helping the Klingons, but they weren't very committed to it. Like uh, the scale just didn't fit the the kind of like you know plan, if you will, or the treachery that that was occurring. Like you know, it didn't seem like okay, great, you set up a, a, a tachyon field net with twenty three ships, right? But like the board that can't possibly cover the border of Klingon and Romulan space like in its entirety you know what I mean like you're kind of like narrowing it down to the most direct supply routes right but like I would think that the Romulan fleet was vast enough to like deploy a much larger scale you know uh, uh, supply effort to the Klingons than just that well is it um, I don't well that's what I'm saying is I don't know I guess it's not Um, but ultimately like I guess to me, like, Sela didn't really end up doing anything to hurt 
the uh, hurt Picard, you know, like just there wasn't that like con type of moment of like, yes, we won the day or won the battle, but we had a loss, you right, know, and yeah. I think that would have been an, a nice touch to introducing Sila and kind of solidifying her as an opponent and someone to think about in future episodes, you know what I mean, and like wonder what she's up to. And I don't think I do, I'm, I'm left with like, that's cool, it explains Tasha's story like you know it's interesting that there's this romulan human hybrid uh out there who's in a command position and you know obviously the romulans are using her to some extent to play picard but um but she has her own command um abilities um but then again like you know as is the nature of episodic television we don't get enough of this to like really kind of be satisfying you're right and you know the the what I've been saying about the Romulans is that you know there's a lot of promise. There's a lot. It's it's very promising, but ultimately it doesn't fulfill uh, what it could have been uh, in terms of being the the, the major villain. Of next generation, or even one, you know, among many, you know, or even a second tier villain, uh, you know, Sila. There was a lot of potential with that character, and th- this second part didn't, with the exception of the of the scene where she confronts Picard. There's really nothing else to her, really. Um, you know, it just doesn't. There needed to be more there. This episode really could have been split into three. We could have had a second part of redemption. We could have a redemption two. And what I would have done is I would probably have done a episode in, instead of of picking up right away with the Klingons. Maybe I would have picked up with just Data on the ship. And then that could have been the season opener, and then the the second episode of the season could have been the Klingon and the Seeleth stuff going on, and then there would have been more room for both of those because those those two plots are really intertwined. You could have had Data on the ship as kind of like a a, a day in the life in the war, you know, but then you resolve the war in the next episode, and right. Um, you know, which really is no different than the way this previous season started, where you had Best of Both Worlds 2, and then you had an epilogue with family. <clears throat> right. You know, you could have done instead, the same thing. We do get an awesome episode next, though, which is the uh, Darmok episode. Um, very excited to talk about that one. <laughs> that, that, that's going to be a very interesting discussion. I can tell you that <laughs> indeed, it, one indeed way or the other. Um, one way, oh another. I'm going to find you. I'm going to get you, get you, get you, get you. Um, do you have anything else, or is it time to go to the book? Let us go to the book once again. The companion, which we Larry Nemechek, the great, the great one himself. And in this, he states, um, 
Apparently he writes that he had initially thought of using the saga of the Klingon Empire and Worf as third season cliffhanger, but the Borg... Oh, so it was meant to be in the third season. Fascinating. But the Borg epic began to take shape at that time, and he shelved the Klingon idea for a year. Um, he says the part one is a Shakespearean-style royal drama, I, Claudia style, intrigue of the highest level. And um, he says, uh, It is fitting that David Crosby was chosen to direct this episode, in which Sila is revealed to be Tasha's daughter. He, after all, directed yesterday's Enterprise, in which mm-hmm. Tasha was sent back in time. That's cool. Practically all of the staff's stockpiled ship designs make an appearance here in the Starfleet (laughs) Armada, including the Nebula-class Sutherland, Data's Command, previously seen as the Phoenix in The Wounded. Uh, Wrecker's Command, uh, the Excalibur, is of the Ambassador class, which is like the uh, Enterprise-C and the USS Tannerman. Hmm. Tianmen. Oh, I'm sorry. Tianmen. Sorry. Tianmen, which commemorates the central... Beijing Square that was the scene of a bloody shiny Chinese populist uprising in 1989. That's cool. I remember the mention of the Tiananmen in this episode. Yeah. <clears throat> that's pretty much it. Is that it? Yeah, that's pretty much it. People have to <laughs> buy the book, man. I'm not going to give that's it all true. away. Just a teaser. Just that's all we do. Just, we we don't want to undercut. We don't want to undercut his profits and people. So, not. so I guess it comes time to give our complete ratings. Like we've already heard, your rating was a nine, and yeah. then you threatened to lower it. Do you still feel that way? Or are you gonna? I did threaten to lower it. You know, I have to admit, I think I think I give it a. I think I am gonna lower it. I'm gonna go to. Uh, I'm gonna go to an, to an eight point five. Wow. So part of my rating is, it's really tough because I know you like me to go first usually so you can tell if I'm lying or not. So so thanks for going first uh, and trusting me on this. But when I saw the previous episode, I had a 10 in my mind uh, for this episode too. I just assumed it was a 10. And after this discussion, I'm going to have to say that it does have to go down to a 9. I'm not going to go as low as you. (laughs) I was going to go for a 9, but you convinced me to go lower. I know, I did. It's so devious. Uh, (laughs) But, um, no, I think, you know, I think to be fair, like, it it probably... Yes, I'm going to have to agree with you and go down to an 8.5 because... um, yeah, the episode doesn't hold up as much as I thought it would uh, or how I remembered it. Um, Now... You know, again, back then I was never a huge fan of the Klingons. I became a Klingon uh, lover more on Deep Space Nine, but um, but here, you know, in retro, you know, watching it now with the, you know, the the nostalgia lens, I you know, I did enjoy seeing. I do, I do appreciate the Klingons in a way I never used to, especially since they've been ruined a little bit by Star Trek Discovery. There we go. <laughs> just a little bit, not too much, but just a little bit. Um, 
because they have redeeming qualities too um but uh but it just doesn't uh. <laughs> you know and and just to say you know this episode because i feel like we've been very negative on the episode it is a good episode it just yeah. it 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 has a lot of good elements in it i think our main criticism is that it it it's all of the elements don't breathe as much as yeah. as they could have and and that's the disappointment you know uh um like i said uh you know i mean there's a lot to like in the episode obviously i mean the opening you know which which you talked about uh picard is 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 obviously great in this episode when he's confronted with Sela when he first sees her on the screen. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I mean, come on. Um, there's a there's a lot more subtlety in the performances, and you and the camera kind of lingers on characters more this season, I think. And like, I think this season kind of like really. Um, Season four, uh, you know, we are, we didn't talk about this in our recap, but I, one thing I have to say about season four is that, like, I would call it the bridge uh, season from, like, what the Gene Roddenberry uh, Star Trek The Next Generation was to, like, the, the post-Gene Roddenberry, Star, or just post-Gene Roddenberry Star Trek in general. And I think that um, in this episode, uh, you know, it's... By this time, the camera's already fallen in love with all the characters. It knows how to how to film them. It knows how you know it, the the cam. What I mean by the camera is like mm-hmm. the wonderful people behind it. Right, <laughs> you right. know, like um, there's a comfort there, and I think it's cool because there is a, sh- a co- there are a couple shots in this episode where they linger on a character's expression a little more and things like that. And I do, I do think that that's something that uh, that is that is very evident with Patrick Stewart and and he's good at it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. And um but yeah, there is there is good in this episode. I don't I think we sounded very downbeat. But uh Hey, but an 8.5 is a high rating. It is. So it no, is, but I, I feel like the you know, tone so, of our like... discussion is kind of like Well, it's cuz I think I think that it's yeah, our disappointment. I mean, but one, it's still when good. One is it's disappointed. Still good. <laughs> when one is disappointed, and it, it, it's just there's nothing else you can do about it. Like you're gonna have a tone, you know? <laughs> like, right, right, just... right. But I don't want to scare any. I don't want to make it sound like we don't like it. We do. We just feel that it could have been so much more. I would love to know uh, what the audience thinks, as always. So please feel free to leave your comments uh, below. Um, or send us an email or interact with us on our Instagram account or our Twitter account. By the way, Doctor, we are nine followers away on our Instagram account from having a thousand followers. Isn't that something? Wow. Yeah, and it's extraordinary. I was very I was very surprised about this, but the most popular post on the Starfleet Boy Instagram is one uh it's a an artist who's on DeviantArt did this uh really interesting um uh, image of the Voyager emerging from clouds in the, in the upper atmosphere of some planet, possibly Earth, and this is this is the picture right there. And it that's got the most popular eight, that one. It has eight hundred and twenty six likes on it, which is outstanding. I can't can't believe that. So neither can uh, I really. <laughs> what do you th- what do you think? Uh, in the TNG era, in the TNG era, <laughs> in the TNG era, is the most beautiful 
outside of the Enterprise D and E, what is your favorite design? Uh, just curious of the of the modern era, the TNG era uh, starships. Oh, do you even can you even think of that? Um, I you did a very shocking you know reaction to that with the oh. <laughs> you know, I I have to admit, I'm I'm very partial to the um, the Romulan. The the, the Derridics, yeah. the, the one we saw in this episode. Yeah, I think it's just such a such a beautiful design. There's an aesthetic and, to it that that's, uh, that's just and menacing, menacing but beautiful. Um, yeah. I think and, the Romulan designs very kind of human, you know. Yeah, very I think alien. the Romulan designs kind of go in a weird direction uh, beyond this because, like, I. Well, no, I should say they stay consistent throughout the series and DS9, but the the Nemesis treatment, I wasn't too sure about the up, the updates to the designs in, in Nemesis. Uh, I don't know what you thought about those, but... I think the problem with the Romulans is, is that there just is not... There's always... I think there's always a feeling that they need to reinvent the wheel with the Romulans. No one's mm-hmm. ever happy with the way the Romulans look or sound... Or what their ships look like, and uh, because obviously you know the original series looks very different. I mean, you know, uh, if you look at the Klingons, there's sort of a consistency. Why is there no argument, or why do people not get upset about the Romulan uh, redesigns? But they, <laughs> I don't know. But we, but we get upset about the Klingon redesign in Star Trek Discovery. That's a, that's a question. There is a, pro- you know what? There's a Romulan problem. <laughs> and we're going to have to have a, dis- a special discussion, or maybe it'll be in some the future. Romula- what the is the Romulan start- problem? The Romulan problem. <laughs> what is the Romulan problem? I don't feel you've you've hit the nerve right there. I don't think fans are as vested in Romulans as they are in Klingons, and I think there's a number of reasons for that. It'd be a very good uh, discussion to have. All right, so uh, I think that wraps up uh, this exciting episode of Starfleet Boy. I thank you for being uh, aboard for this, Doctor, and I thank you, audience, for tuning in. Uh, please feel free to comment, rate, subscribe, all those things. Share the, share the love. Tell people about it. <laughs> Join in. Um, and uh, I'd love to have you on the show if you want to be on the show, so please feel free to write to us to let us know you'd like to. All right. Cheerio and uh, live long and prosper and we'll see you next time.